This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. As I sit there with the raven, I watch him look through items he's collected over the years, and he holds up a black and white photograph, this picture of a younger raven on the beach. I know raven struggles with the pain of getting older, not only physical pain. The physical pain is more tangible, and he's learned to run through it. But the pain of coming to terms with the limitations of age is even more difficult to overcome. It's not just a question of of the passing of years and the aging process. Raven has very significantly debilitating back condition that causes him extreme pain and that has really undermined his ability to run. And as a result of that, probably more than anything else, the pace has has slowed dramatically over the 20 or so years that I've run with him and even the years before I used to run with him. He seems to have a hard time running these days. I mean, he's, he's got problems. He'd rather run than see a doctor. But, you know, I got to hand it to him. He's the best. He's nobody with his uh, exercise ethic that I've ever met. And he's a diehard. He doesn't miss a day. He's the one he needs to uh, take care of himself, make sure he doesn't hurt his back or anything like that. I know he's got back problems. He's still doing his thing, and God bless him. I, I hope that he can keep it up for as long as he's alive. An injury is not going to keep him from the sand. I'm sad to say, when the good Lord takes him, well, the only thing keeps him from the sand because he doesn't understand the pain part. He doesn't, well, let me rephrase. He totally understands the pain part, but he pushes through it. Now, is that an illness? Is that inspirational? That's for you to decide. And as I spent this time with him, I've had an opportunity to look back at old photos and videos throughout his life, and I can see his posture and running has changed over the years. I wonder about the difference between running on the sand versus running on the pavement, the different impact they have on your body. Yin and yang. Um, It's harder effort running on the sand because the surface is uneven and you sink in a little bit. But the other point is it's not as uh, difficult on the joints. It is a softer surface than the concrete. But he's paying the price of it. We used to run. We used to run together. I only know the pace of Raven now. But runners have seen a change through the years. The pace definitely has slowed since I started. I started in 2007. So this is my 14th year running with him. I mean, he used to be a very, very good, consistent, faster runner. And now, I mean, he's doing the best he can with his back uh, pain. And, you know, he is over 70 years old now. Uh, the group of runners used to be quite large because we would come there and run. we talk and run and talk while we're running. But in the last two years, three years, he's painfully slow because uh, spinal stenosis has caused him a great deal of lower back pain and limited his his, uh, once very nice running stride. It's hard to watch, but at the same time that you're watching it, you gain an even greater respect for what he's doing because, you know, he has more pain than anyone could know. 
And as somebody who used to run marathons and 60 miles a week and all the things that I've tried to do, but I find running difficult because I share the spinal stenosis that Raven has. And yet he runs through that. Each of the body parts that you use to that level is going to suffer. We, I have torn labrums in the hip and you get all kinds of stuff. Most of us mere mortals say, well, that's a sign that I can give that up. And I won't feel too guilty because my body's telling me I've got to put that on the shelf. Raven doesn't put it on the shelf. And his OCD nature says to him, with whatever I have to endure, I must do this. And I've said to people along the way, everybody in their life at some point says, boy, that person's one of a kind. Whoever it is, you say, nobody like that person's really one of a kind. In Raven's case, if you think about the history of uh, people accomplishing feats, people have run longer distances, people have run for more days, but no one has ever run eight miles in the sand with only four different routes. I'm running the whole time. Okay. I never, you know, I never, I never, I never stop. I, I, I might go slow, but I never, never miss a beat. Talking about the speed, how each decade seems to be a little slower. I, I said to myself, how much slower can I go and still be doing this? But yet, at the pull-up bar, I'm still real strong and still doing it. They know it's amazing because they, they know what they can do, and, I, and I'm doing more than they can do. And, you know, they go, oh, my God, they, they really give me respect there. The runners, you know, because I'm not running fast, I'm not blowing anybody away, but it's just the fact that I keep coming out every day and they, and they think about it. It boggles their mind that he can just do it every day when they do it one day and they need it, you know, they feel it. Hit a point where I just like started going downhill with the speed. He reminds me of a star athlete who in his prime left the fans in awe. As the athlete gets older, takes on a new role in which allows him to still be part of the game. Raven hasn't become a sports announcer and he isn't coaching a team but he's leading a band of runners and will continue to be an inspiration to people around the world. He certainly has inspired me to pick up running again. So slower pace or not, he's doing it. And he hasn't had a day off since 1975. I did a big uh, global Raven run with our community. And so uh, we had over uh, 15, 20,000 people who were doing at least one mile a day all over the world. And I was here running with Raven for... 90 days over summer, so it was a summer raven run for Darren Daly. But it was fun, and they inspired a lot of people to get off the couch and run for the first time, and a lot of them are still running. It was two summers ago, so not this summer, not the last summer, but the summer before that, where we Mm -hmm. did this 90-day challenge, and people posted it every day. It's very inspiring stories. But basically, just it, it it was a reason to start something, and to, the key was this, the, the consistency of it, staying with it, which is why I said at least a mile. No, that's all. And then ever so slightly, small little improvements compounded over time end up transforming into dramatic results. But it's the consistency of the effort, not the actual launch, which is really the enigma of Raven, right? It's not the fact that he runs on the beach, the fact that he's been doing it every damn day and hurricanes and... and viruses and hailstorms and rain and all the rest of that without missing it in health problems and life conditions you know most people don't even uh, eat 
consistently every day, you know, sleep well every day, let alone do something exerted, like run eight miles. It was the early 80s, and South Beach was becoming more dangerous. Raven was set on sticking it out. He was going to let that keep him from running. One boat left Marielle for Key West every five minutes. They came on Henders night and day. First Detroit was murder city, then Atlanta. Now Miami. Homeowners, merchants trying to protect their lives and property. In fact, civilians are killing as many suspected criminals as the police are. A number of emergency measures have been enacted to protect the public. The beaches and parks are closing early. Miami Beach has enacted a controversial stop and frisk ordinance. And the governor is sending 100 state troopers to free the police of routine traffic chores. After the Muriel boat lift, crime was skyrocketing. In 1981, Time magazine ran with the title Paradise Lost on its cover, describing the decline taking place in South Florida as crime rates increased dramatically. Being on the beach every day, Raven personally felt the impact. I saw so much stuff. I got jumped. I had a guy jump on me, start hitting me, and I, I got away. I pushed him away. We, had, had, we exchanged blows. Another time, some drunk he leaped at me, and I used the momentum to throw him into a parked car and uh, got knocked him down. Yeah, just walking home for no reason. Just walking home from the beach one day. I'd see these guys stealing things, and, and then we'd tell, we'd, lifeguards and I would tell each other, look out for this guy. I said, look out for that guy. In South Florida's history, there were 573 total homicides in 1980. 1981 will go down as another record year for killings around Greater Miami. I think we're probably going to see uh, in excess of 600 homicides by the end of the year. As South Florida's drug trade prospers, the homicide rate will continue to climb. Crime in Miami is up and tourism is down. Most people left. Alex, he was a commissioner. He became mayor later. He's an Alex would ride with the police officers and get these guys and throw them off the bridge. Alex, who Raven is referring to, is Alex Dowd. He formerly served as Miami City Attorney, then was elected to the Miami Beach City Commission in 1979, re-elected to a second term in 1981, and again in 1983. Uh, Castro's criminals came in. They were duped by Jimmy Carter, and the next thing we know is our crime rate went up 600%. And it was really, really sad. It was like lambs being slaughtered by lions. And Raven grabbed purse snatchers. You know, they, they would find a purse snatcher, throw me the radio, and I'd say, I'd say so-and-so you know, has just cornered a purse snatcher. Or the lifeguard would say, Raven's in hot pursuit of a purse snatcher. There's one guy, he, was, um, he had a back injury and he couldn't run. He'd tell me, go get him and I'll call back up. So we, we were working together. You know, we point out criminals to each other. Chase down criminals and help the lifeguards. and He became an icon. This icon today is shown so much respect on the beach. So much that he has his own area on the lifeguard stand. But it wasn't always like this. I didn't have the key to the lifeguard stand. So I kind of hide my pants and jacket under, under the lifeguard stand. I used to use a um, film container with meat tenderizer. When I went swimming, just in case I got stung, I'd have the meat tenderizer. One day, my stuff is all strewn out there on the beach, shirt, the jacket, the pants. Guy comes up. He says, man, what's that stuff that, what's that white stuff there? It was awful salty. Thought it was cocaine. I said, that's what you get for going through people's things. 
The early 80s were a tumultuous time for the city and Raven. Not only is he working to prevent crime on the beach, but he's tested with more obstacles. It feels like the universe is trying to prevent him from running. It's only 82. That was bad. I'm running, it's three miles into the run, and I'm running by First Street. It's July 1st, it's hot as hell. And two dogs, Dobermans, a red one and a black one, chasing each other around a garbage can. So I see them, and I kind of turn to avoid them. The black one got me right on the left calf. The lifeguard was the lone wolf. He got the guy's name, and he calls the rescue. And meanwhile, I kept running. The blood is gushing down my, my leg. He's trying to say, no, stop, the rescue's coming. I get to the pier, and I get to 10th Street, and they finally catch me at 10th Street. By then, I have um, three and a half miles in. They said to me, you you got to go to the hospital on this. You know, this is pretty bad. Then they said, look, we'll, we'll throw some peroxide on it and you'll go after the run, right? I said, yeah, and I did. And they wouldn't stitch it. They said they want to keep it open just in case it might have rabies. So that, that wasn't such an easy night to sleep when you think you might have rabies. Got the shot, hurt like hell. Felt like someone whacked me with a baseball bat. It was real hard to run for, for weeks. That guy didn't have rabies. And the guy gives his name to the lone wolf, the lifeguard, fake name. July 20th, food poisoning. Again, I don't know what I ate. I remember finishing the run. It was really, really, really even hotter that day. And I used to do my pull-ups on the chicky, chicky hut. And uh, there, you know, it was like these shade things, four sides with uh, with um, palm fronds. I, I was having the chills. It was the hottest day. I just remember diving into the sand. I couldn't stand up no more. Just dove into the sand. Back then, I was swimming like every day, and it was July. I remember going into the ocean, hot as hell, and I and I had the chills. I had been thrown up all night, and I remember being really weak, wobbly. My legs felt like rubber for a few days. For decades, the beach had been struggling with erosion, so the dredging began. Large equipment working to bring sand from the ocean up to the beach. They dredged the beach now at this point, and the water started coming up closer as they were take, it was taking the sand away that we, they pumped in. The dredging of the beach was something that came with the redevelopment of South Beach as a whole. With this came the dunes intended to make things even better for the future of the beach. I think the dune was... Um Close to hurricane protection, you know, having that barrier of shrubbery and bushes and everything. It's pretty, it's pretty thick and high at some places, really is. And every once in a while, they got to, you know, trim it down from the coral wall to, to the water. That was it. There was, it was just flat. But then when they dredged the beach, they kind of raised it up a little. Like they, it was like on an incline. So by 84, you could still see the, the water from the beach. It, it was just starting to grow. Now it would be like separated. I call it the back beach. That's where I was trying to run during the pandemic. They wouldn't let us even on the back beach. When they planted dune, I didn't know what it was. And of course, me, who doesn't like change, was against it. You know, not knowing it's for hurricane protection. I still, I still wonder about it. Because the water generally never gets that high anyway. They got things living in there. There's people can sleep in there. So I still, I still don't know about the dune. Although, on emergencies, I've had to do a few pit stops in the dune. <laughs> so, so I guess for that, it was pretty good. His stepfather, Eagle, came back in the picture in an unexpected way. Oh, the Eagle started coming out to the beach. He couldn't believe I had friends. Never came out to the beach. He started coming out to the beach. And he'd go home and report to my mom saying, you know, he's got friends. You know, and then he tells her um, he swims a long way. 
You know, so she got a little nervous. She said, I hear you go out a long way. I said, well, I know what I'm doing. I'm going out there every day. And, she, and he told her I was a good runner. And uh, he had, a, I think he actually gained a little respect for me. You know, just by what she was telling me. Yeah, he says, he says you got friends. I said, she said, I know you had friends. He couldn't believe it, you know. And uh, one day, he loses his keys in the sand. And he tells the lifeguard. So he put his stuff next to my stuff. You know, I just look at him, never talking, you know. And the lifeguard says to me one day, this old man lost his key and said he was your father. I said, it ain't true. He ain't my father, but I know who he is. There's never any doubt that he wasn't my real dad. My mom was in the hospital for uh, kidney stones for like three days. So I'd go over for a juice or something in the morning. I got the refrigerator open, and he leans in to me because I didn't talk to him for, since 1964. This is already like in the 80s. And he leans into me. And he says, I hope your mom comes back. I, I'm tired of without being you know, fed. And I just looked at him like, oh, man. Like, not, not that she should be okay or something. And uh, I just took my head to, and just, you know, God. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Marielle situation was really, really bad. I kept saying to myself, it's got to get better. It's got to get better than it is right now. It did, but it took, took about five years. People asked me, when did it get better? When they started filming Miami Vice, they started fixing it up. Miami Vice became a hit TV show starring Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas, set on the backdrop of Miami Beach. It ran for five seasons on NBC from 1984 to 1990. Which changed everything down here which started everything getting better. I'm walking home from the beach. I live on 7th Street at the time. The desk clerk, I knew him to say hi to. He says, hey, we got these dinners. He's like, uh, they're filming some TV show. We got these little uh, styrofoam dinners, like a sandwich, an apple, you know, a fruit cup. Would you want one? I said, sure. I just finished the run and swim. I'm, I'm hungry. And uh, I'm sitting there, like I'm sitting on the porch, uh, you know, eating it and I noticed Don Johnson running down the stairs on the side and somebody filming him and I says that's that's Don Johnson yeah they call they're calling it Miami Vice some stupid show they're filming and that was the beginning of it that was the first time I ever heard of it and and when I saw Don Johnson I said he's been in a few good movies he played Elvis in a movie so I said he's pretty good and uh, that turned everything around I'm fascinated the power the entertainment industry can have on culture and the world around us to think that this 1984 television series, Miami Vice, had a lasting effect on Miami, 
to help save architecture and shape South Beach into the posh destination it is today. But Miami Vice was not the only instrument of change. Entrepreneurs and locals stepped in to preserve the area as the show became more popular. And according to Raven, this was the area that everyone couldn't wait to flee. But as it underwent a revival, it became the iconic tourist destination that it is today. Every time you're watching it, you're looking for scenes of places you've been, you know, your, your neighborhood. So that was pretty cool. The, the stories, you know, all about the drugs, was a little over the top. It was definitely entertaining. There were not that great scripts or anything. You know, you always enjoy, enjoy watching. And in almost every episode, you see somebody that you know as a guest star. There was a guy that lived in my mom's building who, uh, he had a clothing store. And he was like, he had a main, he was like a main part. There was another guy we called Friar Tuck, who had been an actor in Cuba. He got he was some kind of mad scientist inventing drugs. There's a there's a homeless guy named Gene. I see him I see him, see him almost every day, and I saw him today. Uh, he got in there with a rifle. He had a scene where he was shooting somebody, and that's his claim to fame. His time on Mama Vice, you know this guy Gene. In 1985. Raven has already been running 10 years, and his reputation starts to precede him. He gets a request from Miami's mayor at the time. I got a girl lifeguard, Lee. They, they had two girl lifeguards for the longest time. Now they got more. They're the first, you know, full-time, full-time lifeguards. She says to me in 1985, says, the mayor wants to see you. I, boy, I got scared. I said, the mayor? He says, yeah, I think he wants to run with you. Do you have, do you have a, uh, can he call you? And I didn't have a phone at the time. I said, well, have him come out. Tell him come to 6th Street Beach where I was, I was starting. And uh, he did. And when he, he came to run with me, I remember we're running. He, he said something like, remember, Raven, your legs will take you into battle. He said, he was just giving me advice like a fatherly. And we ran by, a, you know, big groups of old people back then. I'm running by and they look up and goes, oh, it's... It's, there's Raven, someone said, Raven's running with the mayor, you know, and this is the Raven and the mayor. And Alex looks at me and says, I'm gonna get a lot of votes running with you. <laughs> and I remember that. That's funny. Yeah, and, and he did, he never lost. Alex Dowd, in many ways, had a positive impact on South Beach and was described as a great leader. But like many others, the temptation that came with his power was too much and got him into some trouble. I won't go into it here, but if you want to know more, dig deeper. It's a fascinating true story. The Sins of South Beach. So 85, um, the hottest day. Talk, oh, talk yeah. about this. 103 degrees on uh, Lincoln Road. I think I knew, I always know they, they put it down three degrees. So if it says 100, it means 103. And that day, it was just like it being in an oven. And it was humid and I was by myself. Excruciating hot, you know. The building, the big buildings weren't there yet. There was no, um, no shade. So between Fifth and 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 Espanola Way, that nine tenths of a mile, you know, that's the only real unshaded place we have now. And I remember, of all people, Firecracker gave it a name, Death Valley. But back then, it was between the pier and Espanola. It was that was all Death Valley. There was no, no shade. Then in the fall, Raven stops to see his mother for Thanksgiving. I get back from the beach. I always stop at her house, just to, you know, like Thanksgiving time. See, see how she's doing, and and a lot of times she she'd always have some soup for me. My mom. By this time, the eagle was having heart attacks often, 
So he's watching the football game, Doug Flutie, and uh, I always say, don't make the soup, but you'd make it anyway, and I'd eat it anyway. It was just kind of like a little thing. And I said, don't make it tomorrow, she'd make it anyway. Anyway, the ashtray's filled with cigarettes, and they got this football game on. And he's telling my mom, he says, I think I'm having a heart attack. And she says, I'll call 911, and I'm, I'm there. You know, he says, no, 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 don't call now. I got the game. I got to see, I got to see the game. You know, and then Doug Flutie throws the pass. Flutie flushed. Throws it down. Caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. It's a touchdown. (laughs) The Eagles win it. Unbelievable. I don't believe it. Phelan is at the bottom of that pile. Here comes the Boston College team. Uh, they can't, the game's over, the and he goes, call, call no now. You know, he's having the heart attack. The, uh, the rescue guys come over, and uh, the, the guy from the rescue turns to me. I think he knew me and says, man, we had a lot of heart attacks tonight, that game. <laughs> he was one of them. Several months pass, and Raven returns. Go in the apartment uh, in the morning. I get up, 11, 1130, and the deal was I go in and get the newspaper, you know, I was like down the hall in the same building, and he's sleep. He's kind of leaning over, like you know, he's he was sleeping a lot. He was old, and he was 79, but he seemed to be older. He's sleeping. I thought to myself, he's sleeping or dead, one or the other. He didn't move. Usually, he'd move like a little. His head would twitch a little. He'd hear me. Nothing. So anyway, I go back to my apartment. About uh, half hour later, my mom's banging on the door. So, God, I think he's dead. You know, I go over there and look at him. He's purple. I said, he's dead. We call the rescue. They uh, do the the flat line, and he was he was he was dead. And uh, funeral home comes to take him away, and they got him wrapped in a, a maroon colored sheet. And the two guys were drunk. She's upstairs, two stories, kind of like next door here, and they're bringing him down. The, the wheel gets hooked on the on the ba- like on the banister or something. The guy says to me, "I'm 36 years old, and in good shape." He says, hey, hey, buddy, can you help us, uh, you know, lift him off the, you know, lift this guy. He didn't know, uh, you know, I was connected with him. I said, I'll be happy to. And I, I turned to my mom and said, I always knew I'd be carrying him out. And, uh, and she looked at me and says, oh, Robert, don't get, don't, don't say, don't, don't get smart. And I said, you know, she, but she was not broken up. And someone from the building says, I'm sorry about your dad. I said, he wasn't my dad. You don't need to be sorry. And my mom, she was she was not bawling in tears. She, she just, you know, I think I think she was relieved. It was, you know, she's getting a little older, and she didn't have to cater, cater to him anymore. The demise of the eagle, January nineteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. You know. Were there any nice elements of him? Like yeah, yeah. There's, there's some. There was some. He had humor. He had some humor, and we, we watch a game. And, you know, all of a sudden, he'd be real quiet, and all of a sudden, we're watching a baseball game, and suddenly goes, Strike! Like, you know, my mom said, shut up! You know, or something out of nowhere. Or he'd say, tell him that's a, that Dykstra's a really good player. You know, it's like Dykstra with the, the Mets. And I, she says, he says, you tell him, <laughs> you know. You know, and then uh, I'd say something like, uh, this guy's a really good hitter, and all of a sudden, pops a home run. He look, how did he? He said to my mom, "How did he know that?" He says, "Well, he knows baseball." And so he had this like little funny thing going. Or I remember as as a little kid when we were talking, 
we'd be driving around in his car and he sees some woman, a middle-aged woman all decked out. And he says, there's Madame Duflicker. He had some funny name for people. So he had some humor. Bulldog would talk to him. And Bulldog told me once, says, the longest conversation I ever had, I ever had with, with the Eagle was he was all excited about a new razor he got and how many shaves he got out of that new razor. I said, well, that sounds like him. He would go to the, the, to the, to the horse track and it's the same story every time he'd come back to my mom and say, man, I just, this horse just lost by a nose. I would have won $20,000. My mom said, but you didn't. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. One story that stood out to me at the time was a lifeguard friend he had. Yeah, Bob Romer was one of the first lifeguard friends I, I made. He was the first lifeguard to really, you know, talk to me and tell girls about me and, you know, try to set me up a lot. He had, he had a bit of a, a drinking problem. The day before we ran together, he was giving me advice on uh, a young lady I was seeing who was a nurse at the hospital. And she ran seven miles with me, never never did the eight, but did seven. And I said, you know, what do you think? Should I stick with her? He said, man, that girl ran with you. How many girls have run that far? I said, none. He says, yeah, you ought to stick with her. He was giving me you know, good advice. She had a car. She's a nurse. She says, yeah, you'd be foolish uh, you know, to let that go. So the uh, next day I come to the beach, and uh, uh, the client is working there at 6th Street. And client uh, tells me he heard that um, Romer killed himself. Lieutenant O'Neill told me, told me about, about that. Lieutenant O'Neill doesn't always tell the truth, so I don't know if it really happened or not. You know, let's let's talk about something else, he said, because I, I don't believe it happened. And I said, that sounds like something that he wouldn't be lying about. I leave him. I go down to do my pull-ups on the chicky hut. You know, there's like a little slope, and there I'm on the pull-ups, and I see the truck coming by because nobody on the beach. And the truck is coming my way, and O'Neill's driving, and the gunny is riding shotgun. And I look at the gunny, who was real good friends with Romer, and the tears are coming out of his eyes. And I said, oh, man, don't, don't tell me this is true. Because, yeah, we, we wouldn't lie about something like that. He, he had been drinking. He had a fight with his wife. He did some Valium, and that was it. This was the, this hit me hard. This was the worst ever at that point. Because uh, I seen him the day before. He was giving me advice. He was a, a, a friend of 11 years, close. And he boxed with Bulldog and trained with Bulldog and Yule. I would have called him that night if I knew. He's, he, maybe he's probably still be here. Maybe he never did the run. I bet he would have done the run. 
I have to admit that it's definitely hard hearing about this because I know how important people are in Raven's life. All the stories, the different runners, the lifeguards, and friends that have passed on. I know this hurts. One of his top runners, Gringo, who has completed 1,644 runs with Raven, beat cancer and heart disease years back. Continuing to run with Raven, only now cancer has returned and the future looks grim. Raven wanted me to get to meet him to put a face with all the stories I've heard. Gringo, hey, there you are. Hey, maybe uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be home tonight. Okay, maybe we'll come over. I got I got this young man here. He's uh, doing uh, an interview. He wants to talk with you. Yeah, so we'll come by around around nine or a little, maybe a little after or something like that. All right, Gringo. Take care, and we'll see you tonight. All right, I'm glad you answered. All right. Okay. Bye. He's got cancer. He doesn't want to go through it, you know. Why? Why is that? You think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants to die. Yeah. Because it's it's he's gonna die anyway, so he just doesn't want to make it linger. He doesn't want to go any quicker. He doesn't. He wants to go quicker than, than linger, linger longer. So is it hard to wrap your head around that. Like. Uh no, I I, I understand what he's doing. He says, I'm not committing suicide, I'm just going out on my own terms. Gringo! Gringo! Hey, how's it going? This is Cubcast. Cubcast? He's gonna do an interview. Come on, there nice to are. meet you. All right, Gringo. When did it become like a real thing that you started running continually with the Raven after that? I don't, right away, right? Yeah, right away. Yeah, as soon as he did one, he did more. He didn't. He came every day almost. Why did you keep coming? What was it about it? That's in my nature. <laughs> it's in nature. Yeah. What What hurt the most, Gringo, when you ran with me? Do you remember? I don't remember any hurt at all. Your mouth. It was so easy. Gringo, you used to tell me your all mouth. from laughing so much. <laughs> yes, so see. This is one of my favorite stories on Raven. Okay. He was really a good-looking guy, really. He could have anybody he wanted. So his method was, if he heard a, a girl listening to a particular music, he'd just very quietly run by and, oh, you like so-and-so. she said, say, oh, yeah, I do, I do. And that was it. They'd start talking and he had a deal to get together, just have a nice time. He loved nice times. And uh, then with the electronics, they were putting earplugs. <laughs> he lost his methodology. That is the truth. That is great. That is the truth, Ringo. He lost his methodology to this gosh darn electronic yeah. world of electronics. Yeah. What is it about your friendship with Raven? Well, we just have had so much in common, I would say. Wouldn't you, yeah. Raven? Yeah. Green and I, we, we laugh, we tell stories, and, uh, and he, he always was a big, uh, big fan of my songs. We were talking away all the time. And those people were wondering, what in the heck is going on with these two guys? We've seen a lot of characters out there, Green. <laughs> yeah, the, eventually the runners became like brothers for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was going on all the time. They were, they loved the idea, it was 
great beach, wonderful place. About three months ago, you did you did eight miles. You're the oldest ever to do the eight miles. Yeah. Yeah. That's a record. Yeah. I don't go anymore, Raven. Yeah, it's not the same. It was very challenging interviewing Gringo with Raven. It's sad just to see how many longtime runners are slowly fading, and the Raven continues running along. Raven values relationships, and one that stands out to me as the closest is Miracle. And Miracle was 96 till now, 20, almost 25 years. She was taking a photo on the pier. I had it probably sometime in late 92, because she came here after Hurricane Andrew in August. And split up with her husband, and I see this, uh, she was really good looking then, which she still is. One afternoon, I was changing film in my camera, and my camera's a, like an overgrown Leica. She was loading her camera, and the, the long blonde hair, and I see she's got camera, and, it's, and it's, there's overcast, cloudy day, and there's a little bit of a rainbow. And I just kind of make a little detour and say, why don't you take a picture of that rainbow over there? And gave me some advice about what I might photograph. Oh, look at the rainbow. You should take a picture of that. And without even looking over my shoulder, I said, Get your own camera, man. You can't duplicate something like that. Pretty much those words. I said, okay. I backed off. And she kind of half smiled like, you know, I'm just giving you a hard time. You know. You know. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> So uh, he, he jogged away and thought he'd, well, not getting anywhere with that one. So we started seeing each other, you know, like around taking pictures, running. Uh, when she developed her picture, to be a little spot in the picture from a distance, ruining the picture a little, but with a lot of energy, and that was me. I noticed him on the beach two different ways. One, as a figure in my photographs, way way in the distance. I'm talking a quarter mile away. And I was very annoyed that this silhouette had such power to completely throw the picture out of balance. So that really got my attention. He really cut a striking figure. And that was me. I had no idea. On closer inspection, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna have that man. He is hot. Whatever it takes, I'm gonna have that man. And then another time, I was with a, a, a girl sitting on the beach. Uh, some, she was in the fashion industry. She worked for some famous fashion people, lived across the street, and uh, she found a black candle here and made me walk across the street to the ocean, throw it in the ocean. That was weird. So Miracle seeming with her, she says, I see you with a nice woman. I said, yeah, uh, not, you know, not, nothing serious. And uh, I gave her a copy of the running running list back then. It was like two pages, you know, of 30, 50 runners, maybe 80 runners. And I didn't know she was studying that list and wanted to be on that list. And in our coming together and pulling apart, he had given me a copy of the list, which I studied assiduously and uh, for about six months. And I was just fascinated by it. And I got this crazy idea that if I could run the eight miles with him, you know, maybe something would come of that, but I should at least try. And wanted to get to know me, according to what she says. And 
And then on November 23rd, 96, we were running. It was the Corvette man, myself. Kayak Don was following us on a bike. There might have been a few other runners. Given my history of spinal injuries, this was a terrific long shot. I hadn't run a step in over two decades. And she jumped in, she had a few miles, and she'll tell you we tricked her. No, I didn't, I didn't trick her, she just, she just did the eight miles and did the run. I made an attempt, it was unplanned. They tricked me as to the distance. Had I known how far I had to go, I don't think I would have had the spirit to attempt it, but they lied to me. <laughs> and when I finished, I said, it's a miracle. And he said, that's it. That's your nickname. You are the miracle. Finished the run and threw her arms around me and said, it's a miracle. I didn't know about the broken back that she couldn't, you know, shouldn't be running or could never run again. I said, well, you're the miracle, and that became her nickname. He asked me out immediately for dinner at Puerto Sagua, and uh, of course I accepted, and uh, we went to the restaurant for a casual meal. And strange things happened. He, he revealed something about himself that, uh, that dinner. We were just chatting, I had nothing that really stands out, and he says, Oh no! I said, what's wrong? He said, that man over there just said his birthday was December 17th. And, and I said, so? He said, now I'm going to have to remember it and I don't even know him. There was a little insight into how Raven's mind works with the uh, obsessive collection of statistics, the numbers, and uh, all of that. But in my world, I, I mean, that's not too far out there. You know, I can, I can accept that. I think I'm responsible for every tiny little figure a quarter mile away on the beach. So there you go. And, that, and then we've sort of been together on and off ever since. A keen observer of the world around her, I too am just as intrigued by the way the Raven thinks and just getting deeper and understanding. What is this obsessive compulsive behavior? Where did it come from? And how does it play such a big part in his life? Do you count the steps? Oh, when I'm alone, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what that's was so hard when uh, the beach was closed. And I would try not to count the steps. And then just, you know, it just couldn't help it. I mean, there was not a day out there I wasn't counting the hun in, in hundreds. Or sometimes I'd, I'd, I'd find a mile, like from 15th to 5th which is a mile, and, I, and I'd start doing, you know, I gotta get to 10 hundreds, it just to play with my mind. Describe that to me, like help me make sense of it when someone hears that, like what is that? Yeah, just, it's the obsessive compulsive thing where I, I, I start counting the steps when there's nothing else going on. And I go, I have a certain way of doing it, which is like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, 10, 10, you know, 11, 12, 30, 40, 50, 6, 7, 8, 19, 19, 20, 20. And I don't know why, it just, it's always been that way. It's kind of crazy. Hmm. Yeah, I do it when I brush my teeth, when I wash my hair, it's all numbers in my head. And uh, you know, I got to touch the stand at 35th Street when I run up there, you, yeah, when I run off at the 35th, unless I'm on where the old boardwalk was, which is, these days I'm not up there, I have to veer off and touch the lifeguard stand on the way up. On the back, 
I don't. And I tell the runners, you don't have to do this. I do. You know, it's just my obsessive compulsive. And uh, the reason being, it used to be like within arm's length, they moved a lifeguard stand closer to the water. So I looked at it one day, when they, the day they did it, and I said, well, I could pass it by, but all these years I've touched it, and if I, why change something that's been working all these years? I make a little point, it's, it's another maybe half a tenth, another half a minute, and I do it. I really don't remember until, until I played baseball. I think that, that triggered me. If I got a hit, I have to sit in a certain place on the bench or you know, kickstand or something. Yeah, which is, I don't know. It's not. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's, I'm running. It's still, you know, I'm working out, and the, the numbers help me. Then it's all right. And it is all right. We all have quirks. Some we don't even realize in our lifetime because we never seem to explore or understand them. But whatever they are, they make us who we are. I'm actually more intrigued with just understanding the way that his mind works as I get to know him more. There's always a saying he has at the end of the day when I say goodbye. All right, Raven, I'll see you tomorrow. God willing, and the ocean don't rise. Every day we take for granted that we will always see the sun. Every night we need to pray that we'll see tomorrow come. Every time we leave our home, it may be our last day left. You can meet the love of your life Or come face to face with death If the sun comes up And there's stars in the nighttime skies We'll be here tomorrow God willing that the ocean don't rise If the sun comes up And there's stars in the nighttime skies We'll be here tomorrow God willing don't run. There's no coincidence, it's all in the Master's plan. God hears and sees all, our fate is in His hands. So be thankful for every breath Don't waste your precious time Give more than you take It's the legacy you leave behind If the sun comes up And there's stars in the nighttime skies We'll be here tomorrow God willing that the ocean don't rise If the sun comes up and there's stars in the nighttime skies. We'll be here tomorrow. God willing, but the ocean don't rise. God willing, and the ocean don't rise. God willing, and the ocean don't rise. Raven is a production of Imperative Entertainment and Life is My Movie Entertainment. Hosted by me, Vincent Vittorio. Executive produced by Jason Hoke, Claudio Zungri, Vincent Vittorio, and Laura Caulfield. Original music by Louis Harrell. Original songs, Robert Ravencraft. Audio mixing, Rosario Onion Suarez. Story editors, 
are Vincent Vittorio, Claudio Zungri, Teen U, Eric Ricks, Jessica Vittorio, Jeremy Marr, and Carolyn Harvey. Original photography, Mary Beth Kaith. Cinematography and editing, Ashton McCammon and Marley Mullis. Special thanks to Raven and the running community. If you want to run with Raven, you can find him every day on Miami Beach's 5th Street Lifeguard Stand. 5.30 Daylight Savings Time and 4.30 Regular Time. In addition to the podcast, we created some bonus video content. Find it on our YouTube channel at Life Is My Movie. If you like this show, please tell your friends and make sure to leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening.